Aloha and welcome to Thumbing Through Yesterday, the podcast where we take our favorite books off the shelf, blow the dust off them, and remind ourselves why it is we love them so. My name's Tom Galley, and joining me here, we've got Tony Pasculi. Happy to be here, Tom. And this is episode 48 oh of God. Thumbing Through Yesterday. This concludes <laughs> our second year of, uh, of podcasting here. That's crazy. And uh, today we're talking about uh, one of my favorites, Animal Farm by George Orwell. Blow the dust off indeed. You know, it's funny, I hadn't read this book since high school, and then I coincidentally read it a couple of months ago. And so it was <laughs> fun when it came up again. Uh, so this is your pick, uh, Why Animal Farm? You know, there's there's a couple of things about this. Um, we know I've got a thing for broken characters. Apparently, yes. I've got a thing for broken societies too. I, I actually have a reading list of dystopian <laughs> books, uh, yeah. and Animal Farm is on it, and I reread them every few years. Um, but the other thing I like about Animal Farm, well, I mean, it's George Orwell, yeah, and nobody writes a happy ending like George Orwell. I mean, it's <laughs> always just such an uplifting experience. You know? Oh my God! Yeah. What? What? So, what is it about? Okay, broken characters you talked about, broken societies, dystopias. Why does that appeal to you? Um, maybe just to remind me that things aren't <laughs> as bad as sometimes it seems like they are. I don't know. Oh, Animal okay. Farm is fun in a way that many of them aren't, and that it almost works. They almost have their utopia for a brief moment. Things actually get better. Yeah, um, it's funny. I was thinking as I was reading this, this is a lot like, obviously, a lot like 1984. Uh, also a lot like uh, Watership Down, which I think was the first book of the podcast. It was. That was our inaugural book. Uh, and as I was getting into it, it's like, what it reminded me of more than anything is of Mice and Men. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, so it, they have this this moment of opportunity. It's right in their hands, and then because of their foibles, it slips away, never to be recovered. Yeah. Yep. And it's, I don't know, I, I, George Orwell clearly had some um, <laughs> negative views about humanity as a whole. Uh, and, you know, his life shaped in that way, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, I don't know, in a way, it's a cautionary tale. I mean, and some of the stuff, alarmingly, you see in everyday politics still. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, and especially, you know, the retconning. I had completely forgotten the extent of, of how the pigs retconned the rules and, and yes. the memories and, and the entire history um, until they had retconned themselves in a circle and come yeah. clear back around. Two legs good, or four legs good, two legs better. Four yeah. legs good, two legs better. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So that that's obviously a pretty common theme with 1984, where, you know, stuff vanishes down the memory hole and history gets rewritten on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. uh, in the in the I forget which ministry it is, but they have an entire ministry devoted ministry to ministry of truth, ministry of truth to updating the news or yeah. mini true in mini speak. true, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so here they just have the pigs doing it themselves by hand manually. It's interesting. Before I before I dug into this again, I had this sort of vague idea in my mind that it was a critique of communism, um, and it isn't really. I mean, it is and it isn't. It's it, there's more going on than that. More and I want to say less. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it you know, and I had forgotten you know. So we start the book, the 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 opening chapter, the opening pages um, is the pig old major mm -hmm. um, has had a vision and he's addressing the farm and he addresses them as comrades. Yes. Right. So I mean, right off the opening pages, we set this this communist Soviet sort of yes. stage for it. Um, and then, according to you know online sources that talk about this, this this is supposed to represent the 1917 Russian Revolution and the onset of Stalinism. It's it's very much more uh, a riff on on Stalinist communism than Maoist communism. Yeah, yeah for sure. 
but it uh, it was there. It was there in their hands, <laughs> and it was it was just the stinking pigs, you know, that that made it not happen. And then I, I would. Not that there's any way to do this, but I would question, you know, if at the end of the book, if you could pull one of the pigs aside, if you could pull Napoleon aside, or it's the only name I can remember at the second, um, and ask them, are you happier now than you were at that moment when Animal Farm first became Animal Farm? Interesting. Interesting, because, because people often ask about happiness as an overall metric for quality of life. And I've recently been seeing a lot of discussions about how that's a it's a not the metric we should be using. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's recently there was a poll that came out that said women were much happier in the 1970s than they are now, uh, just by self assessment. Okay. But then if you ask any woman, would you rather return to the 1970s? They would say, hell no. Yeah. Yeah. So happiness is not the important metric that we think it is, or is it? I don't know. It's complicated. It is indeed so, complicated, yeah. right? But it uh, the only group which you could say the, the standard of life improved for was the pigs. Yes. Right? The standard of life for everyone <clears throat> else was just a continuous downhill trend. It went uphill for like a few days, uh-huh. and then it... A very, very brief period of time. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, the pigs were forced to drink the cream and to eat the apples, yes. not because they liked them. In fact, they didn't like them, yeah. right? But because pigs needed them. Well, it occurred to me, I mean... So one of the one of the issues with communism, communism is sort of a utopian ideal. It's like it sounds so good in practice. If we all pull together as a team, we can make life better for everyone, and that's what they're driving towards at the beginning. And it does seem like it's possible. And the problem with communism, as opposed to capitalism, is that everything has to work perfectly for communism to work. Everyone has to do their part for communism mm-hmm. to work. And capitalism works even when people are being shitty and greedy. The system still works. Individuals get screwed, but the system still works. So it's much more resilient as an economic system. And so communism invariably devolves towards totalitarianism. It has to be enforced. Uh, And it creates a power vacuum, and there's always someone happy to assume the power in a power vacuum. So, so if everybody was boxer, if everybody was the mighty horse, right? Yes. Um, he's only intelligent enough to remember four letters of the alphabet yes. at a time, but he arranges to be awakened early so that he can start laboring in the day before everybody else. You know, yes. and by the end of the book, he's even getting up earlier. He's staying up later. He literally works himself up to the verge of death. He yes. collapses. Yeah. Um, and his reward is that the pigs sell him off to be rendered down into dog food and glue, you know? For which they buy a barrel of whiskey. I mean, that's it. That's his contribution is a barrel of, an additional barrel of whiskey for the pigs. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. Very unfortunate. Yeah. Yep. But if everyone was boxer, you wouldn't even need communism. You could anarchy would work just as well. Everyone's just like, oh, I'm just gonna do my best. And then That's true. Yeah. That's so, true. Yeah. Not a fan of communism. Uh we just haven't seen it work yet. <laughs> Someday we will. Okay, uh, sidebar, I've, you know, I was traveling in Vietnam recently, and Vietnam is a communist country, and, and Vietnam seems to be doing pretty well under communism. Um, I haven't been to China recently. I mean, China is economically is very, very prosperous. Their brand of communism is a little bit different now than it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're embracing capitalism in some aspects, but it's still a one-party system, but... Vietnam seems to be doing better now under communism than they were earlier. So, uh, 
that's that's I don't know. I have to chew that over. There's there's but. there's <laughs> if that ends up being the case, there's some serious irony. Yeah, playing there with <laughs> yeah. you know our involvement in that so popular war yes. to keep them from being communists. You know. Yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah, but that uh, that's a that's an outsider's perspective. I was there for two weeks, looking around. It's like people seem to be doing okay here. The people I talked to, you know, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, it was terrible before, but now they they actually did some redistribution of land because you know everyone now has land to work. Uh, if they are farmers, some people had no land to work; they could literally couldn't support themselves, and now they do. And that was unfortunate for the people they took it away from, but now things seem to be pretty good. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That certainly didn't work out on the animal farm. You know? Didn't work on the animal farm. Did not work out well in Russia either. Yeah. yeah. Or for any of the Soviet uh, Soviet territories. So continues to not be working out <laughs> yeah. in Russia yeah. and for previously Soviet territories. Yeah. So there was I didn't take much in the way of notes here, but old Benjamin, I love the character of old Benjamin. Old Benjamin is great. Yeah, and he, he never says anything other than to remind people that he's older than they are and he remembers more. Yes. Um, and this just sums him up here. Only old Benjamin professed to remember every detail of his long life and to know that things never had been nor ever could have been much better or much worse. Hunger, hardship, and disappointment being, so he said, the unalterable law of life. Yes. Now that, I mean, we've got Eeyore there, right? I mean, that uh, is, the, is the most accurate assessment of <laughs> the story arc of the book that there is. Yes. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Uh, I think Benjamin is more pragmatic than Eeyore. Eeyore is, is a legit downer, uh, and I think Benjamin is, is just a realist. Yeah. Um, he reminds me, actually, Benjamin reminds me, and that quote specifically reminds me of um, a character from Catch-22. Uh, I don't know if you've read Catch-22. It has been quite a while. Okay. That may make it onto the podcast at some point because it's an amazing book. Um, but they're, remember they're in Italy at one point, uh, and there's an old man there, and he's 88 years old, and he's just drinking, and he's got young girls in his lap, and they're like, old man, your city is under siege. Don't you understand what's happening here? And he's like, Psh, I've seen so many wars in my lifetime. This is just another one. Uh, and it's like, well, aren't you worried you're going to die? Like, He's like, I'm 88 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I lived through all the other ones. If I live through this one, great. If I don't, I'm 88. Yeah, just like whatever. Yeah. yeah. Completely unfazed, living life to the fullest. He's a little bit more uh, happy than Benjamin. Benjamin doesn't seem very happy. No. This guy was like, I'm going to maximize my pleasure while I can. But yeah. Now Benjamin's one friend, again, is, is Boxer. And, and then, you know, Boxer dies. Well, Boxer falls ill and is carted away to die. Yeah. You yeah. know, so there's, there's nothing left for Benjamin. Yeah. Although they weren't, I mean... To the extent that they were friends, it just means that they stood together and ate grass quietly <laughs> without they, speaking. In some way, they understood each other and yes. were content yeah. to be around each other. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the interesting things about this book, as any book where you have intelligent animals, is like, what if we take this at face value? What if we say, this is not an allegory, this is not a metaphor, this is just, there are some animals and they're on a farm. And, and it just takes on a whole different meaning, I think. Yeah, because then it's like, of course, there needs to be rebellion, and humans are evil for keeping them basically as slaves, uh, mistreating them horribly. Long live the rebellion! Um, but it's really, 
it's really hard to do that. Uh, there, there are some things that I have a hard time working around. Um, now, the pigs are surprisingly <laughs> dexterous. Yes. Uh, they can milk cows. They can write. They can sketch engineering <laughs> diagrams to build a windmill complete with you know yeah. internal gearings. And yep. Yeah, they're, they're quite phenomenal, these pigs. Um, now, I okay, I could see, you know, cloven hoof, right? I could see yeah. you could stick a scribbler or pencil between, and you could you could make some markings, and they do have the marking on the floor. But, you know, they have them climbing, the, climbing ladders to paint the rules on the side of the barn. Um, I, I don't know about that. I know goats can climb trees, yeah. so, and they've got the same sort of foot gear, so... Yeah, maybe uh, so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think of pigs as particularly agile. That didn't bother me as much as some of the other stuff, like yeah, holding a pen, as you say. Um, it's it's unfortunate for the animals that the pigs are so much brighter. The uh, it's really a downfall of the quote lower animals, as they are called later in the book, mm-hmm. that they are not intelligent to remember their history or speak up for themselves or even to analyze what you know bullshit is being shoveled to them by the pigs. Uh, they really are at the pig's mercy. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting if you think about it that way, because on the one hand, Orwell seems to be championing the lower classes because they are explicitly, there's a parallel made between the lower animals and the lower classes by one of mm-hmm. the farmers that the pigs deal with at the end. Uh, at the same time, he seems to have a pretty low opinion of the lower animals and therefore, by extension, the lower classes. They are just too goddamn dumb to live. Yeah. <laughs> if they're not capable of remembering and learning and standing up for themselves, then perhaps yeah. know, they deserve their lot in life. Yeah. And I'm not sure that he goes so far as to say deserve, but I think he he concedes that it's inevitable, mm. that there, there is no hope for the downtrodden. They were born to be downtrodden, <laughs> and there's no, yeah, no escape, which is a pretty bleak outlook on life. Yeah, and again, it, that that is explicit in 1984. You yes. Know? Yeah. Um, although in 1984, uh, a difference is that the the ruling class, the party, acknowledges that they're evil yeah. and they're going to stay in power because they're acknowledging that they're evil. Yes. There's there's no pretense amongst them that they're doing some yeah. sort of good or God's work or anything other than being yeah evil and manipulative. Whereas the pigs here are kind of, they're chasing status and power and comfort, and uh, they're a little bit like social climbers, and I think they are genuinely, to an extent, deluding themselves. Yeah. Uh, genuinely think that they're better. They are smarter, not better. Um, and I, I think they underestimate the extent to which they can actually treat the humans, even as they're in the process of becoming human themselves. There's sort of a morphing that's happening towards the end there where no one can tell the difference between the pigs and the people anymore. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, you going back to that idea you had about if we treat this literally, if we treat this <laughs> at face value, these are talking animals yeah. um, with a surprising amount of physical dexterity in some cases. The humans do not react the way I think that humans would react if this happened. They exactly they react they react kind of with annoyance. It's like what these animals took over my farm, and the, and the usual sort of petty stuff of like, oh, they're not you know they're not going to be successful. They're actually practicing cannibalism on the farm. Right. And these sort of scurrilous rumors. No one goes. 
holy moly, I wonder if all the other pigs are intelligent. Uh, you know, I wonder if we get more productive use out of our horses if we can communicate with them directly uh, rather than indirectly. Because initially, animal farm is much more efficient than manor farm because mm-hmm. the animals know the territory so much better. Uh, and the ducks can assist in picking up, you know, individual stalks of hay so they don't waste anything, they don't leave anything behind. If people were to take advantage of that, they could run a much more efficient operation. They could. Uh, they would have to negotiate with them in good faith, I think, but um, and that seems unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> At least in Orwell's version of things, yeah. it will be very unlikely. So, yeah, so that's that's disappointing. Uh, but it's also surprising that the first attack is half a dozen guys to, to reclaim the farm. Is a half a dozen guys when one with a gun, and the second larger attack is fifteen guys with six guns. And it seems like if animals are really, if intelligent animals are really a threat. Uh, in particular, to to life and livelihood and property, send a hundred guys with a hundred guns. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> the the response is not what I think would be you know real. I mean, it's yeah. the sort of thing you know. I mean, look what happened with in Waco with Branch Davidian. You know yeah. how right <laughs> mobilize the freaking army yeah. um, and get them out there. It'd be the same sort of thing. I I feel like it should have been the same sort of thing. There should have been a much more a much stronger, much more aggressive response on the humans' yeah. part after that first attempt failed. Yeah. And they had to say, this is a serious issue. I think, again, you know, but it's not. That's not how Orwell intends us to read this. I just right. like to play that little game. Uh, Although it's, it's problematic <laughs> because you have you have communication between yeah. the pigs and their, their barrister or lawyer or whatever yeah. the agent is. I think agent is the word they use. Yeah. Um, and then later directly between the pigs and the other humans, you know, over dinner. Yeah. And they're reading the books that he taught themselves to read. Now that's that's a mind bender right there. Even before the revolution has started, they have taught themselves to read. That's impressive, yeah. actually. Yeah. Just because there's a couple of books lying around in a rubbish heap somewhere, they managed to teach. Well, some of them managed to teach themselves to read. A lot of people can't teach themselves to read. So exactly. that's, a, that's quite an accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. Poor old boxer. Four letters. Yeah. I think you remember four letters of the alphabet <laughs> at a time. And Boxer was one of the smarter horses. All the horses they got after that couldn't remember more than two. Uh, So there's another animal that I noticed, and this is like the third time I've read this book, and it's the first time I noticed that the raven is named Moses. And he talks about Sugar Land. So he's preaching about an imaginary place where everything is better. He's literally preaching. He's preaching and he's promising uh, fairy tales, and he's named after a character in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did not piece that together. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't piece it together until this third reading. Yeah. So that's like and, and Orwell has a pretty low opinion of Moses as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I forget who it who is it that said that uh, religion is the opiate of the masses? Uh that's attributed to Marx usually. Okay, yeah. So a communist, yeah, or a Marxist. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 not quite what he said, but you know yeah, okay. close enough. But uh, but Orwell doesn't seem to have high opinion of that either, uh, and and everyone ignores everyone ignores Moses here. I mean, he's just sort of there as kind of like a a thing on the side to be obviously dismissed by everyone involved. But he is there, and he is you know preaching yeah. this false message of hope. Yeah, so that could have been interesting if if he actually had a following. You know, what the pigs have done. Yeah, clearly to quash that. Well, the pig, yeah. So the, so the pigs do not use Moses, which is interesting, but they do allow him to stay, and they mm-hmm. do give him a, a ration of beer. Yeah, yeah. So. so he's serving some purpose, which yeah. that's that's something that I think Orwell just fell down on. He could mm. have explored, 
right? Why why are the pigs condoning this? Well, you know, yeah. it's bred in circuses, right? It's a distraction to keep the yeah. help keep the lower animals, yeah. the less equal animals. Some animals are more equal than others. <laughs> yeah, I. All right, let me ask you this question: Did you enjoy reading this? I did. Oh, okay. Yep. I, I like revisiting this one. Um, and you know, and, in a way, it's got some of the same elements that uh, that Watership Down did, and that it's it's clearly fantastical, yes, right, or yeah. allegorical. It's it, it can't be literal. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I guess Watership Down could have been literal, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very cartoony way to try and hold up a mirror to some aspect of society. Yeah, um, but that doesn't stop it from having some degree of effectiveness. I, I I found it's absolutely effective. Uh, it's an incredible fable. Uh, Orwell's an, uh, a wonderful writer. I, I just found myself getting pissed off. <laughs> so angry. It's like reading the news. It's just like, oh, uh, okay. God. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see where you're going with that. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, you know, I'm not reading it and smiling. You okay, know, it's, yeah. it's not making me feel good about the world to read it, but it doesn't, I still get some enjoyment out of it's it's very engaging for that reason. Yeah. Um, it's okay, another book that reminds me of that we've discussed on the podcast, uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, mm-hmm. where Heinlein, this is something Heinlein does very effectively, is he stacks the deck against his characters, gets you to sympathize with them enormously uh, because you're so angry at the people who are opposing them. And then, but then Heinlein makes it work out well for his characters. Right. Yeah, he gives them some sort of escape. He gets them, they lets them triumph through their native ingenuity or the fact that, you know, uh, right is on their side or whatever. And we don't get that aspect from Orwell here. So we just get the just the tease grinding fury. Well again, just known for these happy endings, right? <laughs> well, I say that I don't know that I've read any Orwell besides Animal Farm in 1984. I read uh, I've read some of his essays, which are fantastic. I recommend them if you haven't read them. Politics in the English Language is great. Uh, and if you liked the, the appendix on Newspeak mm-hmm. at the end of 1984, you'll enjoy that. And it's mostly just an essay about how to write well. Uh, Shooting an Elephant uh, is another great essay. And uh, I, think, I think I read one of his novels, which was pretty forgettable. Uh, and I don't remember what it was called. It's just about traveling around England. Yeah. Hmm. So it doesn't have nearly the spark of this. Yeah. Okay. So, any last thoughts on Animal uh, Farm? Anything I we think noted that we hadn't talked about? I think that's it for me. Yeah. Yeah. This is a quick read. It, uh, it's it is very short. It's ninety nine pages, and it just pop, it goes like that. Yeah. All right. Well, what do we have to look forward to next time? Uh, next time we have one of my favorite books uh, by one of my favorite authors, Neil Gaiman, and Neverwhere. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a first for me. All right. It's going to be fun. All right. We'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.